Hello and welcome to Leadership, the Future and Tea, a podcast hosted by Andy Davis featuring Ian Moffat, Deborah Hartung and Hitton Bat, a podcast for people who are passionate about making a difference at work. So uh, welcome everybody, uh, episode two of Leadership, the Future and Tea. I'm again joined by Hitten, Deborah, Ian. Uh, welcome everybody. Hey Andy, how are you all doing? All good, thanks. All good. It's great to have you guys back on board. And uh, again, for episode two, we're going to be talking about leading through change and the emphasis being on the leadership. Uh, that's what we're really interested in. And uh, I know that we all deal with leadership and change with a variety of customers on a daily basis. And that's kind of what I want to draw out from you guys now. Uh, but let's start off by talking about what are the drivers for change? So what is it the reasons why people get out of bed in the morning to do that change? Who wants to go first? Yeah, yeah, I'll kick us off. Let me start off by kind of giving an example of, of where I've seen the best kind of change happen and, and some of the worst change yeah. happen. And and the best one, unfortunately, is that uh, it's that when you reach a point, an inflection point where there is no, you know, there's a cliff edge, there's yeah, yeah. a crisis, there's a, a, a required change. And I think it's powerful. It's dramatic. But I think it's powerful because no matter what language is used, most people get it really super quickly because they get, they get the context. You yeah, know, so the, it, the crisis just basically melds people together and actually if they don't do it, then they've all got a problem. Yeah, and and it, it, it generates a load of people actively participating in the problem and going, you know, and wanting to be part of the solution super early on. Um, uh, you know, and that can be industry sector change, it can be the things like the current crisis we find and i think that's what drives innovation as much as anything that necessity co coalesces teams yes. into action you know mm. and i think some of the worst and i and i have been and i will not name them but i have been involved in projects where there was a change program because change was needed not it wasn't actually needed there wasn't any business real um there was no really strong context wow. behind the why when you scratch beneath the surface but the industry was doing it and it was it was almost like it was seen as this is the, we need to be doing this because so it's a vanity good. project it was it felt like van and, and it's it there was a few of these <laughs> yeah yeah no no i think, I think and we've, it's we've ugly all, you know yeah 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 i think we've all seen those I and mean, they are grim to be involved with aren't they yeah. yeah, I think for me, you know, and, and, and we can all go and Google, you know, the, the drivers of change and there's all these different kinds of change and, and everything. But, you know, the space that I work in and, and maybe I'm a little bit biased because I, I, I lean towards the culture and leadership space. So I everything for me is a culture project. OK, you know, so you can be <laughs> you can be implementing a new HR system. You know, we deploy people first, for instance, um, and yes, on the face of it, it looks like we're implementing a new system, but actually what we're asking people to do is to not just change the system that they're using. We're asking them to learn new behaviors and change the way that they interact. So a lot of the, the projects that I work on are in the, in the digital transformation space. And there's this nice little triangle that people in digital transformation use. They call it the golden triangle of people, yep. process and technology. And for me, that is really the three main drivers of change for me always comes down to either we're changing our way of doing things or we're changing our way of working or we're changing our way of being. And I think if we look at it from from that aspect, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier. And I think historically and, you know, Ian, you say that some of your, your experience might be a little bit outdated. I don't think that it is. I literally less than six months ago was involved in a horrendous project 
that was an HR systems implementation. Um, that was not people first, don't worry. Yeah, I was just about and, to add that in. Thank you. Yeah, and it, it, it had nothing. It had nothing to do with the technology partner. You know, the the technology that was being implemented. It was a fundamental misunderstanding of the why, which you've touched on, Ian. Um, the why, the the excuse that was used is burning platform. Um, and for me, change fails because we don't sell it to people. Change um, in the organizational context is a marketing exercise. And the sooner yeah. we start understanding that, the better for all of us. And quite frankly, when you've got 5,000 employees, they don't care about a so-called burning platform no. and moving from on-premise to cloud. They want to know what's in it for me. How's my life going to change? How is this thing going to make my life better and easier at work? Deborah, now, now we're on to the real, the sort of the real deep, meaningful people stuff. My, my colleague and great friend Hitem Bat is now going to enlighten us um, about the people aspects of it from his perspective, because I know that Hitem's itching there to contribute on that one. Well, I think uh, I think both uh, Ian and Deborah have really touched on um, the people side, and that any change is all about mindsets and about behaviour. Yeah, you know, Albert yeah. Einstein has a great uh, Albert Einstein has this great quote. Um, it says, a clever person solves a problem, a wise person avoids it. Mm. And, <laughs> and basically, I think it's true about that burning platform. Necessity is the mother of all invention. And often, you know, we have two forms of motivation. We have towards motivation, things that are like the carrot for us, things that, you know, that change is going to be really good for us because of X, Y, Z. It's something positive. And there's away from motivation, the stick. You know, if yeah. we don't do this, yeah. then these are the consequences. And certainly from my experience as a coach, you know, what I've found to be true in terms of people really being motivated towards change is when they hit rock bottom. Yeah. When they're actually thoroughly dissatisfied with the situation and they say to themselves, this is absolutely unacceptable. And that's the time. Yeah. When real change actually happens. You, yeah. you, you have to you have to identify um, sounds wrong, but, you, you know, you have to identify the villain, the problem, and you have to socialize it in a way and, pe and people have to understand the value of it. And, you know, you've taken on board your point about, you know, those those motivators hit end. You're absolutely right. Mm. Uh, you know, there's another one, right, which is, you know, you, you, you it's well known that if you give someone something that they'll have a certain level of emotion tied to that. If you then take it away, it's something in the order of magnitude of about 1.8 to, you know, to, to two times the emotional effect of having it taken away. Mm. Change generally you know, it depends where you stand, right? If you're if you're the leader of the change, you're probably already motivated and feeling positive about it. If if you're hearing about change as a as a you know a passenger in the bus and the routes just change, you know straight away it's triggering fear, right? It's tr it's triggering yes. that there is Definitely. there is so so they, these are the you, you, that why that context is so important that storytelling. Well, one mm. of the uh, one of the key things that I've seen several times over is that one of the drivers for change is straightforward legislation change, right? So, yeah. you know, and, and it's easy, right? It makes it really easy for people. And because it makes it really easy for people that you absolutely have to do, it's a greater power than you has decided this for you. For a lot of people, that actually becomes the easiest change for them to lead. 
because actually they've got somebody else to blame. It's not them. And you, you can sit on the sidelines and watch this and think to yourself, yeah, but you know, you the people that we've needed organisational change and actually you've not been able to deliver it and lead it because actually that's down to you. And that's the bit where it's a driver for change, but it's a really uh, demoralising driver for change for some people as well. I think, you know, I mean, yes, I agree with you there, but I also disagree because in my experience, you know, we can't, yes, there might be legislative changes and, and living and working in South Africa, we deal with those all of the time. And we've got a lot of pretty complex employment legislation here sure. and yep. and changes that get introduced. But, you know, just because you tell me that I need to have more women in leadership um, doesn't mean that it's going to change my mindset towards it. You can't legislate people's mm. thoughts. And mm. as much as, as legislation can make it easy for us sometimes to build a case for change, mm. um, it sometimes makes it harder for us because the legislation forces us to to make people confront their biases, their fears, you know, all of those things and to really change their thinking. Um, sure. And I think therein lies a very big challenge for us sometimes as well. Um, and I think now yeah. looking at COVID-19, you know, it's not legislation, it's a global pandemic that is forcing us mm. to change the way that we work and where we work from. But that doesn't mean, Andy, that, <clears throat> you know, intellectually you might understand it, but I mean, if you're one of those old school people who wants to manage me, not on my outputs, but on yeah. the basis of me having my bum in a seat for eight hours a day, you know, COVID-19 and a global pandemic isn't going to change your underlying belief about the work that I do and productivity and why you're paying me mm. what you're paying me. And I sure. think there is the, the place where we've really got an opportunity to, to make an impact and to help people. That's the transformation right there. Yeah, got it. Okay. Mm. Anybody else got any thoughts on drivers before we look at some of the best and worst? Let's, let's go for the best and worst. Um, Let's start with the worst. What's the worst changes that you've that you've seen? And 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 the reason why I open this up so widely is that not only in your own uh, professional career, but you know further than that that you've read about that have been on the news in case studies. Anything that you want to draw on just to highlight the the lack of change, lack of strategy about change. No, oh, I I was going to say I think one of the worst things a leader can do is you know without naming any names any. <laughs> <laughs> is um, sort of say they're going to change things without getting buy-in, without communicating. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Also, very importantly, is not understanding um, their team and understanding the human reaction to change. Sure, the human to change because whenever you implement change, there's going to be all sorts of reactions within the team. There's going to be the victim response, for example. Oh, yeah, why is yeah. change coming through? Why is this happening to me? There's there's going to be the critic. Now, a critic can be good or a critic can be bad. There could be, you know, a critic that actually has something very helpful and positive to say and actually contributes or a critic that's just being a critic just for the sake of criticising. Mm. Um, a bystander that has no reaction to the change. And, you know, why, is a why does a bystander have no reaction? Is it because they don't really have any thoughts or any feelings on the matter? Yeah, yeah. Is it because... Um, they are weighing up the pros and cons. Are they scared to ex express their feelings? 
So all these characters within a team, whether it's a victim response, whether it's yeah. a critic, whether it's a bystander, it's the leader's job to be able to um, understand the team and be able to manage all those different emotions, all those different characters within yeah. the team. I think that's I, I think that's team. I, I think that's key. And where I've seen the worst of you know change being yeah. is, is is where leaders don't do that very well. They, 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 they don't actually engage with the team and understand the yeah. human reactions to a change process. That, that's that's really interesting, that is, isn't it? It's about actually understand what's the impact of your, your actions uh, on other people. I get that, uh, Hiten, that's, that's really, really quite probably at the heart of the whole fail. You were going to ask me. I was. I, I, was, I, I was. I was going to open it up to you because I, <laughs> I, I heard you sort of chiming in earlier on. So over to you. Yeah, so so what Hiten is saying is is 100% correct, and it's very aligned with our more modern approach to change, you know. And for me, I work in the change space, and I I often get very frustrated because you know if, so many organisations are looking for a, some kind of a certification in change management, and I mean mm. I'm not blasting the certifications. There's some amazing ones out there. Yeah, of course, right. I yeah. myself am not certified in any one of the methodologies because I like to use them all. Yeah. And I like to use what's going to work within a given context. And um, in terms of our more modern approach to change, you know, Hiten is talking about the critic and the drama queen and the victim and the, the, the innocent bystander, as yeah. it were. Um, you know, this is something that we've borrowed from marketing and from customer experience is developing personas, yeah. um, is, is, is those change personas and then tailor making our approach for these different kinds of personas. And that's also about how we sell the change a little bit better. So even if we're implementing, you know, an, a new HR system, there's what's in it for me um, as a married mother of two who lives in the suburbs mm. and travels a lot for work. The what's in it for me is completely different than the benefit that's in it for you as a newly hired graduate. Sure. And I think if we start tailor making things, it does make a big difference. And we've all spoken about the case for change, the why. If yeah. we get the why wrong, because our our business case for change doesn't necessarily have to be the why that we use as the selling point for change. Burning platform, like I said, sure, mm. that was the business case and that got us to go and look for new software and you know run all the business models. But what we sell to employees needs to be a hell of a lot sexier and more interesting than yeah. burning platform. Well, uh, I, I just want to throw in there a real example then about the worst change that I've I've seen. <clears throat> I'm going to say I wasn't involved with it. Um, this is this was kicked off in a different department than me, and I truly I was a bystander to this one hit ten. I sat there and, and watched this unfold in front of me and knew it was uh, it was a disaster waiting to happen. But did you have popcorn? Oh, I tell you what, I wish I had had popcorn. It, it, it was over about a three-month period. and I, I, Yeah, I could have absolutely done that most days on, uh, in that job. But um, we, uh, yeah, there's two things in my career that I know that if you mess about with, with people, then you, you're going to get an emotional reaction. First of all is obviously their pay. And mm. second of all is their car parking space. And this particular change was about actually introducing parking charges. Um mm. and and effectively So you're messing with both now. Well, yeah, kind of, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> ticking both boxes. But the car parking space itself was that effectively where you would always park your car 
was then going to be banded into these different sort of zones of car parks. And the chances were that the majority of people were going to be in a different car park. That was the thing, right? Um, because they're probably where they part was in the more expensive band that they didn't want to pay for. So anyway, the long and short of it was that uh, they, they really didn't do a great job of any form of consultation, of any form of communication, right? That was the heart of it. That was absolutely it straight away. And all of a sudden, the, the, virtually the first thing that people knew about it was they got a letter that said, uh, tick which box that you want to uh, incur some cost. Mm-hmm. And this will determine how far away from your office you actually are. Really was terrible. And it, they then had to kind of retract after about two weeks of absolute hell on earth. They retracted everything. They went back to the drawing board and they went through the whole process again for another three or four months and throughout that then they had all the focus groups then they had all the town halls all the notifications the communication and then eventually they actually managed to roll this thing out but how they'd actually started off the negative position that they put everybody in right from the outset it was so far down to then drag them back up yeah and then to move forward it was horrendous hey can can i um, shoot me down here guys okay shoot me down i'm gonna go theater i'm gonna go theoretical on you for a second why wouldn't you Okay, you know, if you if you you work in sales or you work in marketing, you kind of create, you know, you kind of work out the problem at a high level, right? Yeah. And and you kind of work out the why piece at a high level. And then you test it, right? You take your hypothesis and you test it because, you know, if you get people involved in a problem, usually they'll they'll be part of wanting to be part of the solution. So so the theoretical argument here is, you know, most of the bad change I've I've seen has been sort of preemptively planned out without understanding the consequences and then thrust on an organisation. Why yeah. why wouldn't there be more focus on really getting to the root of the the problem and getting to the root of the context of why and then and then sharing how it gets executed and well not even that sharing sharing what could be solutions it, to that. It, isn't that down to the fact that somebody's been given a deadline to hit Ian? Yeah, but if, if we talk about burning platform, right? And, yeah. some, and definitely some people use that as an excuse, but it's not really there. But, it, you yeah. know, you think about the long tail models of change programs that go wrong. Yeah. And you think about the amount of, you know, we're, we're all taught, you know, do the right amount of planning up front so that you can then go quicker. You know, where is where actually is the urgency? So I think um, and I think you, you've hit the nail on the head and don't ask too much about why, because. Um, then people like Yaten and myself won't have jobs and you know, <laughs> we, can't, we can't feed our children. Um, for play. me, the root, the root cause of this approach, Ian, is the reason why people don't do their homework up front and ask their employees is because of outdated mindsets and beliefs about work and hierarchy. So we are used to telling our people instead of selling and instead of asking. So, you know, you've decided burning platform, we need a new HR information system, but you don't go and ask HR and you don't go and ask some of your line managers what's broken for them and what should we be looking for when we start shopping around for a new system? You know, you just go and choose one. Um, So fundamentally it comes down to what we believe about work and hierarchy and people and I think leaders don't understand on on a base level that in the new world of work, your employees are customers and you're not seeing your employees as customers. They are just on the receiving end. You know, instead of consulting and coaching and getting all of this information, you're commanding. 
and you're sure. telling them how things are going to be. Yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of people just don't think about it because that's just the way that things have always been. I'm the boss and we're going to do this thing now because I've decided it's a good idea. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, go on, Hitchen. No, I was just going to say it's just a classic case of that 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 fear, isn't it? That, yeah. that fear that if I speak up, if I say, if I rock the boat, if I you know challenge the status quo, then some you know I could lose my job or be in bad favour with the boss. So it is as as Deborah said, do do as I say rather than you know what's my opinion. And and one of the worst one of the worst things I think a leader can do is the token gesture, <laughs> the token yes. gesture of, yeah. um, I'm now, I have consulted with you and I'm asking you and here's, you know, <laughs> here's all these yeah. questions and really what's actually happened is we've actually already made the decision and uh, yeah. we go ahead and people feel it. People, of course, of course they do. People absolutely know when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so let's turn it then and say, what's been the best one that you've been involved in where where is it that you've actually that's made your heart warm then and made you think actually i'm going to learn from this i'm going to carry this over and see if i can bring some of this goodness to the next one yeah yeah so so, so there's one that really um really did impact me and it was when i first started in the field of coaching and personal development i um i started working with young offenders right and um i had a uh, program a personal development program to help young offenders change their mindset and these guys you know you know you think executives and ceos and senior leaders are tough i mean when you go into a room of young offenders and you've got to engage them already when they're sat there in that room yeah already like you know sat sat back in their seats they are they they, they, they just immediately think that whatever you're going to say when as soon as you open your mouth it's a load of rubbish. Yeah. Completely disengaged. And there was one lad in that in the, in that room on, on, on one of the programs that I ran. And um, he was, you know, a big lad. And you could tell that all the rest of the group really respected him. And yeah. he, he was actually the most well-behaved in the whole session. So I had a preconceived notion of this guy that, oh, he's going to be trouble. But <laughs> somebody that when, it, when, when, when any of the other lads would try to play up or come late back from their break or not listen, he would actually put everyone straight and say, hold on a second, listen, listen, listen here. He's making a good point here. You know, and he'd keep the rest of the group in, in line. And then towards the end of my program, you know, and he always turned up on time. He always answered questions. Sure. And he had a really great effect on the rest of the group. Brilliant. And towards the end of my program, I asked him, I, you know, to share his story. And he did. And he said, he, he, he sort of shared his story, which was, he was addicted to cocaine. He had fallen into a life of crime. But he grew up with a best friend that was his best mate for years, that never mm. did crime, that was always, you know, very good in school. But mm. they were best friends, his, his childhood friend. And one day, 17 years old, he's giving his best friend a lift. And they're all involved in a car accident. And he escaped with whiplash, and his young friend was in a coma for a while, but unfortunately passed away. Wow. And this event, this trigger event that happened, actually was the trigger that created so much change for him. Because he kept asking himself the question, look, you said, you know, I've been involved in crime, I've been involved in drugs, I've done all this wrong. 
and my best friend died and I'm still, I'm still alive. So yeah. why would God take him? Yeah. That was the question that was burning in his mind. And from that moment, he decided to, you, you know, he, he, he got off the drugs. That was his motivation. So his, yeah. why, his why was really clear to him. It was in front of him at every moment. And that's incredible. It, it, was really, it was really powerful. So, so, so that's what I mean, coming back to that thing of sometimes it's rock bottom. It's yeah. dissatisfaction. It, this will not do anymore. That's the yeah. drive of the change. Well, sir. That's a beautiful drive of change, and uh, that's a, that's an amazing story for anybody to tell. Hiten, and uh, I feel pretty useless about the example I'm going to come up with for the best example of change. But Ian and uh, Deborah, help me out. Follow that. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't follow that at all because uh, I think I think if you, you take it to a personal level, right? Think about how much you've changed yourself. It's it's easy for us to to sort of um, think about change in a positive way and lead change and do all that, but actually, how often do we really change ourselves? It mm. does take mm. it does take a really big moment to make a fundamental change. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, I've got to obscure this one. Um, it's not my current employer, but it's uh, you know I got parachuted into this business, and it's a it's a personal story. Um, you know, I I had the, the the pleasure I suppose of being involved in. This isn't an example of the best change ever at all. It's just an example of a of piece sure. of change that worked. OK, yeah. So so the background to this, this business was um, failing, huge cash flow issues needed to try and get it back onto a position of even keel. And and, and the things that I sort of reflected on after a couple of months of being there, um, I didn't know anything about the business. I didn't know anything about the people. Um, the products that they had or the industry in which they worked and it was really what really surprised me the first time was that actually that made it easier so this is this is one of the values of consultants right so so Deborah and Hitan this is where you you guys really add value because um, I got I got parachuted in the day that I had to start the plan of sorting it out and meet all the people and and because I didn't have any a prior a priori knowledge or expertise in that business you just have to focus on some real fundamentals and yeah. and actually in some sometimes that makes it so clear um mm -hmm. you, you know uh, so it, it, there was some great stuff there right there was some really good people there was some amazing customer relations and there was a there was a massive opportunity in this specific sector which they had but their commercial model their cash flow profile the, the volume of products that they were attempting to support and um, the way in which they were marketing the value of the of solution the way it's been received in terms of its perception of value as well was just horrific just, <laughs> and you know the business was about the business was literally about to close um and and within within the first hour i had to address all the staff so i thought you know you've got to you've got to they knew there was a problem they knew there was an absolute fundamental problem so i thought well let's get everybody together and um you know we weren't going to have an, an open debate as such but we we're definitely going to have questions and it was just look this is what's going on this is um what we need to do you need to give me sufficient time to assimilate the information and come back but i will come back to you within the next two weeks and in the meantime i'm going to give you a daily brief briefing of that um you know that position and where we go next um and i think what was good was yeah. get, getting getting a combination of uh, the managers and kind of key people uh in you know so we ended we obviously spoke to all the staff 
uh, you know, in terms of daily briefings. But we, in the first two weeks, we got most of the staff in to get their views, to get their understanding. And I think that's the point I'm making is, is, is yeah. often these programmes are preemptively done and you actually miss out on the opportunity mm. of actually uncovering huge opportunities yes. and, and avoiding a huge calamity, right? Yeah. So, and this was an ugly situation that we had to correct. And um, cut a long story short, within the, if within the first two weeks, we got the plan. We, I think what I was really pleased about was that as a team, we, we, we anticipated, um, well, two things that I'll draw out of this, right? We anticipated that we're going to have to communicate really, really regularly, really transparently, and be able to, sh be able to evidence the actions that we were taking. Um, and that that would in itself mean that at the point we got it back on an even keel and things we started to think about diminishing the communication, that could create a vacuum. That could create yeah. a perception that we've stopped communicating, which is worrying. So how do we transition to normal and let people know it's a positive thing? Yeah. And, and absolutely, we, we're going to have to lose some people. So we, we were absolutely on how do we how do we get the message right about this is it now it's finished and ma really managing the survivors and making sure it was that's a, it was okay. that's a tough balance now that is, isn't it it was it was six tough months um but we got the, the business is really healthy today um you just yeah. completely converted how they how they did their you know their revenue model and, the, and rationalized the products and and got it good but i think the you know the point of making there and what it taught me was two two main things it, it taught me that um you you have to you have to think about the way in which you work with those people to the, for the solution in that crisis event and uh, one of the main people i work with actually said to them you know why wouldn't we just manage businesses like this the whole time? I don't mean the, the crisis piece, yeah, yeah. I mean the yeah, consultative approach yeah. to it. Yeah. And, and, and the other was that actually, you know, once you've got a set of these tools, you can pretty much go into any business. And I think this is the real value of, of consultants, right? You can actually pinpoint the fundamentals incredibly quickly because you've not got the burden of either being too close right. to the problem or all of the, you know, the baggage of the past. So, yeah. so that, that 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 was my story. And it's one of the great things about being new in an organisation, isn't it? Is yeah. that you know, say what you see in the first three months because after the first three months you'll be part of the problem. <laughs> so uh, gets normalised, yeah. right? You know. Yeah. Too true. Yeah. Too true. So, uh, you know, and for those people that have then actually gone and embarked on one of these change programs on these these projects uh, why does it fail what have you guys seen that have, has really actually been the root cause of the fails for me really simply it's about the people right and for mm. me in terms of why project fails it often fails uh, because actually the people that you're aiming the change at aren't ready for that change yes and yeah <laughs> have i taken your words here and i'm really yeah, sorry no 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 absolutely gone yeah, I mean, for, for me, there's many organisations that I've been and worked with, um, you know, as a consultant and actually been and worked for as well, where they just weren't used to change. Yeah. You know, change was something that happened to somebody else. And and for them, they, they lived in fear of change, wanted everything to stay the same, couldn't understand why it wasn't the same as it was 20 years ago. And on that and at that point, you're, what you're trying to do is do massive transformational change to that business and they're just not ready for it and and that is people right from the c-suite downwards and that's yeah. a real problem yeah. yeah have any of you guys seen the movie the shawshank redemption oh yeah it's awesome loads of times one of my favorite movies i've not seen it and ian keeps on telling me i should watch it right. andy, andy defree 
Andy, Andy, <laughs> put that on your uh, Netflix list. Yeah, so in the Shawshank Redemption, there's this one, basically the, the plot line, Andy, is just yeah. uh, uh, innocent man gets ex- um, accused of killing his wife. He didn't kill his wife. He's, he's, he's put in this horrible prison and he escapes from that prison. And by the end of the movie, he's on this beach, right? right? And I often use this analogy um, when I'm talking about change is, so he's in prison. He, at the end of the movie, he's where he wants to be, which is, which is on this beach. But to escape, there's a scene in the movie where literally he has to escape and he has to actually tunnel through miles of sewage to get to that beach and to escape. Incredible. So there's where you are, prison, there's this tunnel and there's where you want to be, that beach. Yeah. Right? And basically the truth is why change fails is because change is tough. Change is a, a really big price. There's going to be a load of shit involved, literally, in yeah. getting to your beach, right? It, 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 it takes can, effort. It takes effort, right? It takes effort. It takes effort. And, 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 I, and I said this analogy about the Shawshank Redemption and, 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 you know, getting to the beach. And, you know, it's without that, without that tunnel, without that sewage, without going through that struggle, you're never going to get to the beach. You would never have got out of Shawshank. And somebody in one of the sessions said to me, well, what if you're happy in prison? Wow, and, and, and you know what though, hits and he really struck on a on a, a fundamental part of of uh, you know that standard deviation curve of humans and how they act. A large amount of people, the reason people don't save for retirement, and the, and the reason p- people eat you know the extra cream bun when they're trying to lose weight is because it, you they can't quite get the vision of what the the results would be if they didn't do that and they exactly. did something else you know projecting into the future so you yeah. you've got to you've got to set that future vision and make it really really yeah. compelling to put the yeah to put the effort into getting to that journey why why would you know um i, I like I think, the idea of storytelling Ian. somebody mentioned yeah. it earlier on and forgive me i can't remember who it was but for me the art of storytelling is yeah. about actually telling that story about the journey we're going to go on and actually what it's going to look like when we get there. Um, the struggle is worth it. The struggle is worth it. It's worth correct. going to the tunnel. Yeah, it is. It is. And let, let me tell you that one of the uh, one of the projects I was involved in at uh, previous place, um, my goodness, the, the, the single biggest failure of, of, the, pro- of the, the project succeeded in the end, but the, the, the bit that caused a huge amount of delay was simply not having the leadership on board. And... I, I suppose, naively started the project believing I'd got the leadership on board. And it was only when I kind of looked around as to who was with me uh, that realised that probably 10% of the leadership team were on board, but yeah. absolutely not everybody. Yeah, that, that was that was just that was just critical and, uh, and, and made the whole thing really painful, not only for the organisation, but actually more painful for the people involved. Because, again, there was job losses involved in that. And I think it could have been far easier had the leadership team really stepped up. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's it, Andy, isn't it? You, you know, it, it, whether it's the solution you wanted or not, it's better to have that aligned, that aligned, you know, all, all not all singing from one uh, one voice, but, you know, at least agreeing and pushing in the same direction. It's better. Correct. It's better to have, a you know, 80 percent of the plan being pushed yeah. by everybody than trying to stick to the the single absolute vision where people are talking a good game. But the, 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 the point is, a lot of times people will genuinely say yes and yeah, act in a different and act yeah, in a different yeah, way absolutely. if they don't believe in it, if they don't feel Correct. it and believe in it, you know? Yeah. 
yeah. No, and the other, the other one for me, uh, I suppose, is lack of resources. Yeah. And yeah, I'd, I'd even su- suggest that virtually every project I've been involved in, barring one or two, I could have said there was a lack of resources at some point in the project. Um, and that's the bit that where you could move quickly if you had more resources, you could achieve more, you could achieve a better communicated outcome and all the rest of it. Mm. it it's that it's that want of not putting in an extra few hours of somebody's time into a project that really could make the difference. Can I be radical for a second? Go, go for it. Again, a bit of a generalisation, but I've seen a pattern over my <laughs> bit long in the tooth now. But when people talk about projects, it, it starts to feel like they're giving it to a small set of the business, which will be resource constrained. And they're, they're kind of almost outsourcing the problem and, and ring fencing it. And, and just to just to compare and contrast this, right? Imagine if the organization said we need to take the change and it is a continual process, right? Which will have stages where we'll have measures, but it's not a project. Because yeah. the characteristics a lot of times in organisations of a project is somebody gets to own it and there's nothing wrong with ownership and accountability, but mm-hmm. it runs for a particular point of time. It nearly always has meddling with the scope yeah, yeah. Uh, and it nearly always is characterised by being set off to the side with a with a restricted amount of resources. That's generally and, it, yep. Uh, and, they, and they can be set up to fail as a result. Yeah. I, I don't know what you think to that, Hitan. Mm-hmm. Where it's someone else's job. It's seen as oh well, yeah, it's, correct. And it's not, it's their, it's their project. They're handling it. Yeah, yeah. And one. I think, I think you get that lack of participation by the organisation. And if, if, if it's change, realistically, it's, it's got to be organisational change, right? Yeah, it's got to be. Well, again, it just comes back to it's got to be from the top. So, what about our wonderful listeners then? What, what top tips we're going to give them to actually support this change that probably they're going through or thinking of doing at the moment? Um, especially in the light of COVID, people are probably thinking about actually making some pretty fundamental changes to their business. What what are we going to give them as tips to take away? Well, for me, um, I probably have two or three key points, and it would be um, what is what is the outcome that you seek? Okay, yeah. so so what what is the to tell the story from mm. you know because a lot of time it's about this is where we are, this is where we need to be, and this is why, yeah. and yep. this is what and this is what it's going to take to get there. So I think there's a piece around not coming up with all of that yourself, but starting to lay it out as a, as a straw man and getting as getting the right mix of people involved in that first phase. Yeah. Um, and and I think the the other top tip would would be to say and it's going to sound a bit odd but there's actually plenty of time to get this right in this phase Mm. because you know covid has forced everybody into it and everyone has complied and got into it you know graciously with humility and with a greater community spirit because it really was a burning platform it really was an absolute necessity so everybody got it straight away Yeah, yeah. that actually rarely happens apart from failing businesses, failing industry sectors uh, and these types of situations. So there's actually always just a bit more time than you think. Just, you know, part of leadership is being brave and holding back any other press that you're getting external or internal pressure from boards or shareholders to say, let's get this right so that when we've got this set up, then we can move fast. So make sure you've got you've 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 put enough time into the planning and the under understanding from the workforce yeah fair enough yeah i think they're really great points here and i think just building on what you've said the clarity of vision the clarity of what you want to achieve is the is a starting point getting everyone 
getting everyone involved, of course. Um, and also as a leader, being able to walk your talk. Mm. And in whatever way, being able to demonstrate, if you're in a leadership position, to, to, to basically model those behaviors. I think, I think that's very important. And also understanding it's a process. Change is a process. Yeah. 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 Have you guys heard of the work of Carol Dweck, where she speaks about a fixed mindset and a growth mindset? Yeah. Um, the growth mindset basically is this idea of learning process being allowing for things to fail allowing for things not to be quite right and yeah. understanding that it's a process rather than you click your fingers and change happens correct so that growth mindset is something that's really really important and that's going to keep you going and also celebrating the small wins oh yeah yeah that's on my list that's on my list making a making a song and dance about the small correct. wins and that's how change, that's how you move towards that journey and that process. But clarity of goal, I think, is absolutely number one. Yeah, yeah that right, number one. Get, get, get your picture of why that beach is important and short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of various different change models, right? Um, but that, that clarity of vision uh, being number one, I totally agree with you on that. And, and for me, after that, it's about the C-suite, that unless you've got the leadership team completely aligned as to, as to why you're doing this, really, there's no point even starting. Um, and then the two things for me, um, and, and these become become circular, right, is one, communication, and two, the celebrating the, the wins. Mm -hmm. So you go out, you tell people what you're going to do, why you're going to do it, and you keep doing that. And people say, well, you know, when's, when's this change project going to end? Well, the answer is, well, when the next one starts that overrides this one. Right, yeah. because it isn't just something that you do between January and February and that's it. You've got to keep on reinforcing those changes that you've done. Mm -hmm. And those celebrating wins, th that that continues months, years after that, that yeah. project team has been disbanded, right? And it's become business as usual. You've got to keep on celebrating that. And the more that you do that, the more that people uh, will actually hark back to this whole thing about the beach and why did you go there and how did you get there? Mm -hmm. And then... One of the really strong things, and hopefully Hiten will realize this, recognize this as well, is about when you build in a culture, one of the really strong points in there is about the stories and myths of the, yeah. the organization. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and of course, yeah, one of the stories will be about the day that the organization decided to embark on this change and what the pain was like and what it was like and who was let go and how it changed and what did we do before. Remember the old days. That's all part of the company culture. That's why you've got to keep talking about it and make it really strong. That's brilliant. Yeah. So my first tip, Andy, would be that I think we need to understand that change or transformation is a verb. It's yeah. not a switch that we just flip. It doesn't just it doesn't just <laughs> exactly. turn on and then we turn it yeah. off again. You know, it's yeah. a gradual process. And what also happens with the gradual process, of course, if you think of an elastic band, we can stretch you forward. But at some stage, you're going to stumble. There's going to be some resistance yeah. Yeah. and maybe you're going to be pulled backwards. Because people like what they, they, they're used to, right? They like going back to what to. They, they used to do. Yes, and also we're just human, you know, so so we do tend, you know, you can teach me so many things right now about healthy eating and exercise. Mm. That doesn't mean I'm not going to want a Krispy Kreme donut tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, too, too. you know, and I think we also just need to kind of empower our people around understanding that 
transformation change is a verb. It's an ongoing process. It takes time. And that it's okay to stumble sometimes and that our power lies in recognizing that we've stumbled or that we've regressed and then that we actually correct that. Yeah, so definitely. that for me is really important. I like it. Um, and then in terms of my other tips, you know, I've got a model that I use with my clients because okay. m- most of my m- most of my change initiatives eventually relate to some kind of workplace culture change. So yeah. yes, I might be working on helping with you know a people first implementation yeah. or a SAP success factors or high five or whatever it is. Yeah. But those really, you know, the HR software and all of those things, those are really only tools that we use. What mm. we're actually trying to get people to do is change their behavior. So the way that I see it is that we've got things that we do that are changing. We've got ways of working that we, that are changing. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got ways of being that are changing. Wow. And the model that I really use with my clients, I call it the five C's model. Okay, um, five and, C's. Yeah. What, what are those? And the first one is C-suite buy-in and sponsorship. Love it. So it has yep. to come from the top. Yep. And I like allocating execs um, across the board to, to basically be spokespeople and, and poster children of the change that we yeah. want to model. Yep. Yeah, the second C is communication. We all know how important that is throughout the entire process. But the communication for me is also two-way. We need to build mechanisms where employees can actually speak to us and share their sentiments and give us feedback. It's, it's more about, you know, asking than it is about telling. Yeah. Um, the third one for me is very important, which is collect the data. And again, that, that speaks to employee voice and sentiment analysis and understanding readiness for change and resistance to change. Yeah, it's, definitely. it's getting yeah. the data and finding out, you know, I think historically we've made the mistake that we do a, a change readiness assessment at the beginning. And then we just deploy this thing. And sometimes this thing is a year-long project or it's 18 months. And no one actually takes the time in the meantime to gather sentiments and feedback and data and and Mm. see how we're doing and where we can, can improve. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. The next C for me is coaching and capacity building. And that's really coaching, training, leadership development. Um, Most of the change that we're deploying in the new world of work, yes, it might be a new software system, but actually we're asking people to change their ways of working and their ways of being. And we need to give them the tools to do that. So for instance, at People First, we use regular check-ins. You know, that is a a skill that we've got to teach people how to do. Sure. And we've also got to help them change their belief around how just just the, the whole employer-employee relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then the last C in my model um, usually gets a little bit of resistance when I mention this to change people. <laughs> and I call it I call it consequence management. Yes. Um, and the consequence management obviously is good and it's bad. It's the carrot and the stick. So it is about rewarding um, yep. people for positive behavior and positive yep. change. And then it's about, you know, kind of taking some remedial action when they're not coming to the party. Nice, nice. So if I've got those five (coughs) C's nailed down, I've got C-suite, communications, coaching, capacity building and consequence. Have I got that right? Um, You do. The only one that you've missed is collect the data. Ah, So coaching and capacity building is is, Is one one C, yes. Ah, I beg your pardon. So collect the data. There we go. Yes, there we go. One of the things that you said there that uh, that really for me 
uh, you know, is really change in a nutshell is about the readiness for change. And you said about doing that readiness for change assessment at the beginning of any change. Um, and without that, then it's really difficult, isn't it? That there's many, many organisations that just aren't used to change. And, and actually for them to do any form of change is just such a an abhorrent mess that uh, it, it really is well, pretty much doomed to failure before you begin, unless you actually understand that that climate. Oh, completely. And I think also the mistake that people make is, you know, you have change management practitioners and professionals mm. running around the organization and some of them change readiness. They might be ready for the change. Yeah, they've exactly. got a communication plan and they've yeah. got all the stuff, but the end user isn't ready yeah. for it. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not the project manager that you got to worry about. It's everybody else. Exactly. And it's the <laughs> line manager in the department, you know, sure. that and, and again, one of the reasons why change fails and we know this is because people don't buy in. They just don't buy what we're selling them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if if you've got me as a manager and I'm already a nightmare to work with and I'm bad-mouthing this upcoming change <laughs> yeah. before it happens, it is doomed to fail. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. No, interesting. Interesting. So, okay, so I've got the five Cs now. C-suite, communications, collect the data, and then coach and stroke capacity building and consequence. Completely. Yes. Wow, I like it. I'm gonna. I might use that. I might use that. I will credit oh, it to you, but I'm, I might Thank use you. that. So, You're so most thank, welcome to. Thank, thanks for sharing. So uh, we also uh, promised people that we'd actually give them um, something to take away. And uh, what resources are you going to leave people with, Hiten? You know, I always say that it, it starts with the individual. The individual has an impact on the team. The team then impacts the business. The business goes on to conquer the world. But the start. Yep. Raw leaders is 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 their heart and mind in the right place. Okay. And I think that there are some ancient wisdom that we can go back to that's still relevant today. Okay. Three books um, that I would recommend, and they are all part of Stoic philosophy. And Stoic philosophy is this amazing body of work that actually allows you to be calm, to be patient. To be all those things amidst chaos, you know, and, and, and one of the books is by Marcus Aurelius, yeah. Roman Empire, uh, uh, Roman Emperor. His book is The Meditations. I'll definitely recommend that. Okay. Another is by a Greek philosopher called Epitectus. Yep. Uh, the Discourses and Selected Writing of Epitectus. And there is another amazing work by Seneca, which is Letter from a Stoic. And all three of these books are, you know, you may say, you may say, oh, what? He's not talked about anything about change management or no, no. I think people that have lived before us have gone through political turmoil and war and famine. They have distilled their wisdom and it's still relevant for leaders today. So, so, so I, really, I love it. So intellectual. Uh, my my recommendations are going to pale in significance compared to that. <laughs> wait, wait till you hear mine. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I mean I, I've got, I've got, um, I, I love listening to audio books um, yeah. and, I, and I've got a set of books that I kind of listen to, but, you know, I read, but generally uh, from a change point of view, the thing that always stuck with me, and it's just because it's so easy to just pick up and flick through mm. and start at any point, you know, so I have read it um, cover to cover about six or seven times and then just pick out bits, you know, and it's an obvious one. It's an absolutely obvious one. It's who moved my cheese. Uh, oh yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And, and, and I'm going to tell you without mentioning the company. Okay, I came across this book when I was doing a HR transformation project, and 
Um, the culture at this organization was appalling and nobody spoke to anyone, but I found the book because they bought loads of copies and they put it on everyone's desk and then went to a torturous, torturous change journey where they didn't do anything right. Um, and uh, the project halted and, and, and uh, kind of disintegrated and got broken up into different bits of business. So it's, I shouldn't laugh, it's terrible, but it was just so ironic. And, and you know, I was working there one day after after a, 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 probably a couple of weeks and seeing, and I thought, I'm just gonna, nobody's reading these books. You, you know, the books were on the desk, right? Yeah. They were on everybody's desk. And you know, a paperback book, you can see that it's been opened, right? Because yeah, they find it. None of them, not one of the books had ever been opened. So I thought, wow. can I take one of these? <laughs> <laughs> so I read it in the bath that, that night. and. The, the, the biggest takeaway that I keep going back to on this is this principle of no matter what happens, first and foremost, try and take full accountability and responsibility and then say, well, kind of, wow, what am I going to do yeah. next? Yeah. yeah. And if you could kind of cascade, what am I going to do next for me and for anybody else that I meet along that next bit of the journey? Right. So so it, it, it's kind of like a comic in comparison to the, 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 the books you put there. And I love that idea of that sort of stoic culture. I think that's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, I came across who moved my cheese because of an organization that didn't believe in having any change done in the right way. Love so, it. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Right, brilliant. Well, Listen, that's a great book, Ian. And uh, it, uh, when you said about sitting there and reading it one night, it was one of the first books that I actually just picked up and just sat there and read it. You know, in the same day, it was, it was, yeah, fantastic book to read. So it's accessible, isn't it? You know, it yeah. is, it is, it is. So again, I'll, I'll put the link to uh, both Hitten's books and uh, Ian's books in in the episode notes below. And I've got two books that I'm going to refer to. So one um, is is the kind of the the textbook the you know, the, the classic textbook the second is actually an autobiography sorry a, a, yeah autobiography um so the first one i'm going to talk about is julie hodge's book which is consultancy organizational yeah. development and change and julie's an amazing um professor up at durham university i've had the immense pleasure of going up and giving a guest lecture up there and speaking to them i've contributed to one of her books before and this is just a complete classic that if if anybody's listening and wants to actually pick up a book and sit down and read it and read some different models that are in there as well um then please please go and do that please go and pick up uh, julie's book uh, the next one is uh, it's called hit refresh and it's about microsoft and the change that uh satya nadella actually led mm. in microsoft and what's really interesting in the first um, chapter is when you realise that he actually took away the leadership team and they mm. basically spent the first day or so just sitting there and, well, effectively getting rid of all the demons and bonding and actually getting to understand each other wow. before they could do anything wow. at all. So, yeah, if you've not read that one, it's a great read. Um, it didn't take me that long to read that one either because I was quite engrossed with it. And when you read the real strategic decisions that they took for their business, I want to say strategic, you're talking of uh, business defining decisions worth billions of pounds. Yeah. Incredible, really brave, brave leadership going on in there. The big takeaway that I want to leave people with is besides the fact that change is a, is a verb, is that we need to approach modern change management as a marketing and a sales exercise. Right. And the best resource that I can refer you to in that regard is um, also an Accenture alum. His name is Robert E. Smith. 
Okay. And he wrote this amazing book called Selling Change. Yeah, where yeah. He really explains why we need to approach change as a marketing exercise. Got it. Now, Robert, after he left Accenture, he did a couple of things, and then he started his own change management business. Yeah. It is called The Change Shop. Yep. So go and check out his website at thechangeshop.com. Yep. He's got this awesome little free app that you can download as well. And he's got a ton of free resources on his website. And um, one of the things that I love about the app actually is that you can do some of the things that we've talked about. You can do like a change readiness assessment um, and just a couple of little things. And it gives you this nice little yeah. dial almost with a yeah. red, a yellow and a green that tells you where your nice. risk areas are. And it gives you some recommendations on things that you need to look at um, that will set you up better for change. Yeah, well, I've uh, you, know, you shared with me the, the links for his book and his website earlier on, and I've been on there and had a look um, in the last uh, uh, few hours today. And uh, you know, there is some really rich content on there. So yes. uh, after we finish doing the podcast, I'm going to go back to that and have another read of it because it, it does actually look really quite powerful. So uh, thanks for that. So yeah, all the links, by the way, everybody, are going to be in the, the notes, the show notes at the bottom. So you'll find the links to Robert E. Smith's book and his website in there that Deborah's just talked about. Uh, Deborah, thanks very much. Um, that's thank uh, you, enlightening. Andy. Right, but thank you very much for your time. Um, we're about at the end. So next week is going to be leading the communication. Leading communication. Love it. Love okay. It. So, awesome. hey, listen, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, please look out for our next episode and please take the time to uh, have a look at the notes that are underneath this episode with all the links to the resources that we've given. I've already had a look at the ones for, for Deborah's and Hitens, and I've already read the book that Ian's. Uh, talked about today i can promise you that if you've not actually seen all of those uh please go and spend a few minutes looking at them because they are great resources um yeah and thanks everybody thanks hiten thanks deborah and thanks ian thanks all see you next week bye for now take care bye bye that's all folks please subscribe through google podcast to keep up to date with our future episodes bye for now